You're about to hear my conversation with Tyler Hewitt and David Taylor, the two new members of the McKinsey Blue Water team. We talk all about how they got interested in investing, their new uh, next-gen fund, how they approach that universe, and what you can expect from that investment. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with two guests today. Tyler Hewlett and Dave Taylor are two members of the McKinsey Blue Water team, uh, they are also co-leads on the McKenzie Blue Water Next Gen Growth Fund. Tyler, Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Happy to be here. Look forward to the conversation today. Uh, I always think it's very interesting to understand a little bit about your background, how you were interested in investing. Tyler, maybe we'll start with you. How did you get an int- interest in investing and how did you get to where you are now? Sure. So uh, I've been interested in the investment industry as far back as I can remember. If I had to pick kind of a moment where it started, uh, I grew up in, in Pickering, Ontario, which for those who don't know, is a is a suburb just east of Toronto. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my dad bought me my first stock, which was ClearNet Communications, which as far as I know, is the only public company ever to be based in Pickering. Uh, right. And that kind of started from there, watching the stock, watching other stocks. Um, if you fast forward from there, I uh, went to Queens where I did uh, my undergrad uh, Bachelor of Commerce, focused mainly on finance. And coming out, I landed uh, my first job out of school with kind of a well-regarded rotational program, a large Canadian bank uh, in their capital markets arm. So it was a great experience. I rotated through investment banking, foreign exchange, fixed income, spent some time in their London, England office. Uh, and then landed permanently in equity research, working with the uh, with the firm's chief strategist for a number of years. So after that, um, I realized for my career going forward that I wanted to be in a position to actually invest instead of advising others on how to invest. So you know, Great. moving from the sell side to the buy side, if you will. Um, that brought me to an opportunity in the investment management arm of another Canadian bank. Uh, and interestingly, it was in Canadian small cap. It was on the Canadian small cap team. Not an obvious path, kind of a 180 going from macro investing to, to small cap. Uh, sure. But when I decided to join, it, it was kind of pitched to me as uh, you've got this macro experience, which is actually pretty rare and, and pretty unique and, and important as a portfolio manager. But eventually, you have to learn how to pick stocks to be successful. And that Canadian small cap was kind of a a great stock pickers market, got a really bad benchmark. Uh, it's an opportunity to add value through pure stock selection um, and, and a, you know, a good place to learn the craft of stock picking. Um, so eventually I took over as the lead manager of the small cap team. And that's when I hired Dave to work with me uh, over 10 years ago. Uh, about eight of those years, I'd say, so Dave started working under me, but for about eight of those years, I considered Dave a co-manager on all the strategies we ran together. Uh, it, it was the start of a great partnership. It got to, uh, again, it got to the point where we were co-managers. Um, and 
for, uh, you know, for the next 10 years of my 15 year career, we managed several different mandates. It ended up going beyond Canadian small cap, uh, North American all cap strategies, some large cap portfolios. Uh, I led what became known as our growth equity team. Uh, we ran multiple award-winning strategies. By the time we left, all of our products were four or five stars. And to bring up, bring us to where we are today, we did it by adding value through concentrated stock selection. Uh, you know, very similar to the Blue Water team that we joined in April of this year. Great. We'll get back to uh, how you how you view the universe and select stocks and the addition to Blue Water. But Dave, uh, why don't you take us through a similar uh, experience, maybe up until the ten years uh, that you you joined Tyler? Uh, how how were you interested in uh, in investing, and and what has the experience been like since joining Tyler? Sure, uh, happy to do so. I mean, maybe I'll start. But there's there's an old line that if you can find what you love in life and your passion, I mean, you never have to work another day. And with investing, I mean, I, I truly believe I found that. I mean, it's it's competitive, it's intellectually stimulating, requires a strong temperament. I mean, it just really resonated with me. So, you know, going back, I'll tell a similar story to Tyler. I mean, my parents bought me my first stock as a teenager. Uh, it's so ironic that it was Trojan Technology, which is a ultraviolet uh, disinfection, water disinfection company based out of London. Um, it actually ended up in Danaher, which, uh, is ironic because it's it's a large holding across the Blue Water franchise. But, you know, similar to Tyler, um, you know, I went to business school. I knew I wanted this career um, on the buy side and, and investing. I just loved it. Um, I spent a few years at a high net worth investment boutique in Toronto. Um, and then six years running research on the sell side. I covered a number of sectors. I uh, was so fortunate to just have amazing mentors along the way, which is is so important for young people. Um, and then, you know, transitioned to do a bank uh, asset manager, you know, started working with Tyler and, um, you know, we were, it's just been a great partnership since, since coming together and, you know, was a PM on a number of kind of four and five-star funds, liquor award winning. And yeah, it's just been a great partnership and journey. Excellent. Uh, and the two of you decided to join the uh, McKenzie Blue Water team earlier this year. Um, I'm curious, uh, I, Tyler, I think you sort of tipped your hands a little bit when you were talking about similarity in, in investment process and style. Uh, I'm curious, what was the appeal of, uh, of the Blue Water team um, and how that integration has gone? Sure. So I'll start. They're kind of, you can kind of break the reasons we joined into, into two main buckets. The first is McKenzie specific. Uh, the second is more uh, more specific to Blue Water and the alignment. I'll take the McKenzie part. I'll let Dave talk about Blue Water. So, um, you know, for me, after working for the first 20 plus years of my career uh, at banks, at Canadian banks, it was important to me that for the next step in my career that I joined a successful asset manager. So a company hmm. who's was in the business of just asset management. And when you think about the Canadian asset management space, there's very few companies that have the track record and the pedigree and the reputation of McKenzie. So that, that was definitely one uh, very important draw. And then, you know, people are always important. When I think about the people I've met throughout my career uh, in the Canadian asset management space, uh, the people that I, that I knew that I had worked with in the past, that I met <clears throat> that were involved with McKenzie, they were very strong, competent investment professionals. Um, they were good people. 
And they had really great things to say about working at McKenzie. And I think all of that played a really important role in, in the McKenzie part. And Dave, if you want to talk maybe about some of the more things specific to Blue Water. Sure. I mean, in terms of Blue Water, Matt, I mean, it really started with, you know, a similar investment philosophy. And Tyler touched on some of this, but, you know, being concentrated, benchmark agnostic. I mean, we all subscribe to this mentality where 70 to 80% of companies out there are, are average. I mean, we're truly looking for exceptional. Um, second point would be a track record. I mean, we all know this, just a phenomenal track record of adding value on a risk-adjusted basis across the Blue Water franchise over a long period. And then lastly, but certainly most importantly, is the people. Um, you know, that starts with David and Dina, uh, the whole Blue Water team. And then, you know, very important to me was, was Tyler. I mean, him and I, and I'm sure we'll get into this, you know, we've made thousands of decisions together. So just Great. the journey to continue to continue that partnership. Yeah, I'd love to dig a little bit deeper on, on the partnership. Um, it's it's unusual for me to have two guests uh, on the podcast. I think it's fairly unusual for two people to to join a an existing boutique um, and and, uh, and get amalgamated into that boutique. Um, maybe I'll start with just your partnership. What makes uh, your partnership uh, special, unique, or important to to the two of you? Yeah, I mean that's a great question, Matt. I think when when we look back one of the most important decisions we made early on when we started working together was that out of everything we did, we put the team or the partnership first. So ahead of ourselves in pursuit of, of one goal, which was to add value for our clients. And it sounds easy. I think everyone probably says that. I think it's very, it's a lot harder to do in practice. I've seen a lot of teams and partnerships struggle and fall apart in, in my experience in, in this industry, because everyone was looking out for their own career first, even if they didn't explicitly know that they were doing that. So that was first. Everything was was kind of team and partnership first, whether it was just Dave and I, whether it was us working as part of a, of a broader team. So what does that mean? Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, it's you, you got to take the ego out of it. It, it takes a level of trust. Uh, trust that if the team succeeds and the team thrives, that it'll end up being positive for all members as individuals as well. And there are kind of a few little rules that we, over the years crafted, I couldn't, can't say we came up with them all at once, but over time we, we kind of looked at what worked and what didn't. And sure. one thing, for example, was when we're debating investments, uh, don't try to win the argument, focus on getting the decision right. And again, you know, when we were part of discussions, when we watched other team members as part of these discussions, we saw a lot of uh, debates that were, just it was very clear that people were trying to win the argument. And I, I probably did it myself. If you want me to be honest, I probably caught myself doing it as well. And we decided that if someone that, that it was a good rule, that if someone says something that makes sense, even if it's different from what your kind of entrenched position would be, just acknowledge that and move on. And, and we just found such a huge difference in how constructive the discussions became and how it just helped us more quickly get to uh, get to the right decision and the right answer. To bring it back, <clears throat> you know, quite a ways, um, believe it or not, Dave and I used to listen to this podcast before we even thought of joining Blue Water. I, I remember a discussion you had with uh, with Dave Arpin, our, our, our new teammate at, at Blue Water, where he said something to the effect of the quicker you can realize that that you've been that you're wrong about something, like the, something to the effect of the, the less harm that will do to the portfolio. 
And sure. I, I think a really important part of that is it's quicker to come to that realization when you know there's not going to be finger pointing as to like who made the mistake, who was wrong here, because it doesn't matter. Again, you win and lose as a team. So we really strive for, for a culture that has that kind of emotional intelligence. I think that's really important in the investment industry uh, in general, because I often say that in, when, you're, when you're dealing with active equities, when you're an active equity manager, you're really in the business of decision making and understanding your behavioral biases, having the self-awareness of those biases, I think is really important. And then to tie it all into Blue Water and how the transition's gone, you know, to Dave and I joining and, and contributing on all of, all of the existing portfolios, as well as, as launching the new uh, McKenzie Next Gen Growth Fund that we're talking about today, is that when you have that mindset that we've conducted ourselves with for the last 10 years, we're then joining a Blue Water group that has a small number of people that have been together for a long period of time. And I've had right. a lot of success together. And it's it's not, you can see how it might not be the easiest thing for two kind of new people to, to join into that group. But given the way we've operated in the past, it's actually been really easy. It's been really seamless. It's been a great experience by all accounts. And again, I think it really helps that not, not only do we have the, a very similar investment philosophy, which we'll talk about, but that our way of operating as a team has helped us fit in really well as well. Great. Dave, anything to add? You know, Matt, the only thing, I mean, Tyler hit all the points. I mean, no ego, just getting at the root of what a true partnership is. The only thing I would add, I mean, and Tyler and I have talked a lot about this, but something that really resonated with me in in, a, in the right partner is we're both process guys. Hmm. I mean, that sounds simplistic, but being a process guy, every year we sat down and it was about what went right, what went wrong. And that mentality of, of constant improvement. And yes, the markets are, are not linear. There are ebbs and flows. But sitting down every year and where can we make structural improvement in our process, which is really getting at the root of what compounding is. I mean, iterating and, and making yourself uh, better every year. Right. Um, I'm curious, you, you mentioned a lot about emotional intelligence, um, call it corporate culture or, or something along those lines. Uh, when you talk about the successful partnership, you've made the decision to join Blue Water. You've pointed out uh, certain attributes of that. Um, in your vetting process, uh, when you were thinking about joining that Blue Water team, how did you try to understand the corporate culture uh, of Blue Water uh, as it existed and that it would be a good fit for the two of you? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. There, you know, the first part was from a vetting perspective, there weren't many places like McKenzie that we we would have left. We had a we had a we were pretty happy in our previous roles. We weren't just going to leave for anything. So sure. it's not like we looked at a lot of different opportunities. This uh, was something that came up, and then it's just spending the time, uh, you know, talking to the you know the key people involved, uh, whether it was Dave and Dina, other people at McKenzie. Um, the Canadian investment universe uh, is pretty small. And so, you know, we, we talked to a lot of people who were familiar with the team or familiar with the organization. And, you know, it became clear pretty quickly. It's kind of like when we, when we look for investments, some of them become very obvious very quickly that this is the type of company you're looking for. And I'd say it was, that's how we viewed Blue Water when we looked at this opportunity as well. Can't think of a better segue than to dive into the, the product itself. 
Um, so uh, we, you've recently launched the McKinsey Blue Water Next Gen Growth Fund. Um, why don't you describe a little bit about the, the universe of the fund uh, and what the uh, intended objective of the fund is? Maybe I'll, I'll turn it to Dave for that. Sure, uh, I can start with that. I mean, you know, when you think of what this product is, it's really about taking the best of blue water, you know, concentrated growth investing, world-class businesses, adding value through stock selection, every company kind of underpinned by strong and growing free cash flow. And, and our focus is all those things, but also businesses that are innovating, innovating by product, by service, by business model. And what you find when you find, when you have these characteristics is you can have a higher growth rates and with longer duration. And, you know, that's something that's truly, that's gets at the heart of, of adding value and value creation. The other thing, I mean, just in terms of the universe and, and where I really think this product is different and unique, it's, it's innovation investing, but removing the worst parts. So what do we mean by that? No concept stocks, no early stage businesses, no lottery tickets, no companies burning free cash flow. Every company in the portfolio kind of underpinned by strong and growing free cash flow. So, you know, it's really about innovative growth investing that uh, allows you to sleep at night. Hmm. It's uh, on the face of it, very interesting. When I think of innovation uh, in general, and you say you don't look for the sort of concept stocks, all that sort of uh, those types of uh, businesses, uh, the focus on free cash flow is interesting. I mean, innovative companies, um, I think people are entrenched to think of startups. Uh, we've just been through a decade of uh, technology companies really dominating uh, with sort of the Silicon Valley mindset. Um, are those the type of firms that you're looking for, but just a little bit more mature? Uh, or, or maybe you can double click a little bit on where you're finding these opportunities and what your ideal investment looks like. Sure. So there really is a large overlap philosophically with the uh, w w with the investment philosophy that Blue Waters had with their current funds for a long period of time. Um, you know, global leaders, little competition. Uh, and then there's this small subset, this sweet spot that's maybe <clears throat> a little bit higher growth, call it 12 to 25% uh, in free cash flow, which is we typically look, which is what we typically are looking for. That um, a little bit higher in some respects, there is some overlap with the, the US and global uh, blue water mandates that we're involved with. But then there's, there, there's this small set of companies that's growing a little bit higher than that, but maintains that global dominance and continues to be relevant. And we think going forward, we'll maintain that global leadership through innovation. And this is not just a tech fund. We, we wanted to dispel that. When we talk about innovation, you know, it can, it can take many different shapes. Innovative products, I think, is the, is the easy one that most people think of. Innovative right. services. How about innovative business models? Like one of them we think of that may not be uh, come to mind so easily is like a Costco, which has actually been held in, in the U.S. And, and global blue water mandates for quite a while. They're the only retailer that we can think of that makes most of their profit off their membership fee. And, and hmm. that drives a really interesting mindset from a company perspective, because that makes them fully aligned with their customers to offer their customers the best possible price and to make that, uh, that offering so compelling that they will pay a fee every year 
to to be part of, uh, uh, you know, to have the right, if you will, to go into the store and shop. It's kind of an absurd concept when you think of the rest of the retail space. Um, right. So it's not just, it's certainly when you're talking about innovation, there will be a focus on uh, on technology stocks, but it's not just about looking for the latest, greatest uh, high-flying tech product. And what really fits, again, the kind of the overlap between what we're trying to do and what Blue Water's been doing is taking companies that already have lots of free cash flow, already have a solid balance sheet, have already established mm -hmm. that they're the best at what they do instead of hoping and praying that that will be the case down the road. One of the uh, challenges that I might think you, you would face uh, when you're looking for those more established uh, companies is the, uh, the fact that uh, bigger, larger, more mature businesses uh, may get stuck in their ways. They have a business model that works. It's generating a lot of free cash flow. Uh, how much of a challenge is that to, uh, to innovation? Uh, and how broad is the universe of companies that actually exhibit uh, those characteristics? So it's a small list, to be honest. And our process, I mean, the last seven months, um, I mean, it started with sizing up our universe, call it 2,000 companies, 1,000 in the US, 500 in, in Europe, 500 in Asia, um, qualitatively. Sounds like you didn't have a lot of free time on your hands. <laughs> no. And I mean, it sounds so daunting, but, you know, qualitatively looking for, you know, avoiding commodities, the mature industries, businesses vulnerable to disruption, looking for those growth rates between 12 and 25%, which we really think is the sweet spot. But then getting to a point where you're doing deep dives on 175 to 200 names. So, this was really a process of leveraging the knowledge base across the Blue Water team. Um, you know, finding these monopolies, oligopolies with secular trends behind them, and eventually getting to a point where you have call it 30, what we believe is just exceptional global leaders um, that are innovating again on those three, you know, product service and business model. And what you find is, you know, the duration of growth is much longer when you find businesses with these characteristics. That's great. Um, you mentioned there are secular uh, trends and secular uh, themes. Um, I'm curious how much that plays into your process uh, and, and what stage that plays in. Do you identify a secular theme, look for companies, or is it is it more of a bottom-up? Tyler, uh, maybe I'll, I'll go to you, you with that, uh, given your uh, early uh, background in macro, uh, and how much is that applied to, to the overall process? Well, it comes from it comes from both, to be honest with you. And and you know when you're looking at, uh, we look at everything for starters from a bottom up perspective. But when you do that, you tend to find themes, right? So even um, when you kind of read the transcripts and go through the quarters of general industrial companies right now, for example, most of those that are tied to uh, the auto industry and more specifically uh, the EV side of electric vehicle side of the auto industry. You can see these tailwinds. So, you know, we're starting to see some weakening in the economy in a lot of different general industrial areas, but not if you're tied to that sector. So, so you see it from the bottom up. And yeah, you, there also is a component of looking at the trends, looking where the world's going. In a lot of cases, you know, we've been hearing about, for example, electric vehicles for a long time. But I think right now it's kind of flying under the radar, actually, as to how quickly it's occurring when you look from the bottom up at what the automakers that we would probably never want to invest in, the legacy automakers, but it doesn't matter. You look at them and, 
and they're going full on into electric vehicle production in the next three or four years or, or sooner if they can get there. So um, it's really both. And it's great to have a global universe to, to see these trends and then go looking for the best companies. We can benefit from something like electric vehicles without having to go into business models that have not historically um, you know, been very profitable or good investments, or by trying to pick companies and betting on a certain type of technology or a certain kind of thing coming through. We look for companies, for example, that are going to benefit uh, no matter which uh, auto OEM wins the EV race. We look for companies that are going to benefit no matter what. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, you referenced EV there uh, as uh, as one of the secular trends. Uh, do you have a select number of secular trends that you're after, or are you are you um, more ambiguous or or able to to be more flexible on that? I mean, I think there's some key ones that kind of, as Tyler said, I mean, you go through so many names, you read seventy five plus transcripts a quarter. These trends come up, you start seeing them from many directions. Um, you know, electrification, EV, energy transition, you're certainly seeing it everywhere. Um, you're having a platform change, you know, from internal combustion to electric. I think digitization and automation would be another kind of key one for us. You know, every business now is becoming digital. They're harnessing, you know, analytics and, and data. And, you know, that's really evolved. It's evolved from, you know, iPhones and e-commerce to the purpose of saving money, saving time, saving lives uh, with a company, you know, the digital, uh, using digital tools for, for surgeries, um, AI, automation, all these things are driving um, trends that really provide the wind at your back for earnings and cash flow for which can be 5, 10, 15 years. You, you've referenced uh, Dave uh, several times, and Tyler as well. Long duration growth, long duration cash flow, um, and uh, I think that many of our listeners, uh, given the uh, inflationary environment uh, and the performance of uh, longer duration growth in general um, uh, throughout 2022, uh, has been um, very challenged uh, to say the least. Um, what's your view on inflation and how it might impact uh, your universe? Uh, and uh, and where you're finding value. Sure. So so maybe I can take that one, given, as you pointed out, my many, many years ago macro background. Uh, sure. But <clears throat> so when you think about the mechanics of, of valuation and you, you think about the kind of companies that Blue Water has invested in historically and that we're trying to invest in, these are companies that, that kind of keep a durable mode, a durable advantage that can grow higher than the overall market for very long periods of time. So when you think about the math on a valuation perspective from a DCF, for example, you think that a lot of the value in those companies occurs past, call it a 10-year period, because they, right. you know, they maintain that dominance for so long. So it's not surprising from a short-term basis that you see weakness in, in those stocks when interest rates and inflation goes higher. We like to point out that that's valuation volatility. That's not fundamental volatility. And, and when you're thinking about the type of companies that we're looking for and the type of companies that, that we're investing in, you think of limited competition, best in what they do. You know, Dave's mentioned a few times, secular tailwinds at your back. Don't these sound like the kind of companies that are going to have an easier time passing through inflation as well? So, so when right. you think about that, over the longer period of time, we still think that these are companies that um, 
are going to have earnings growth better than the market in some cases versus the rest of the market, it becomes much easier for them to maintain their earnings growth dominance versus industries that in any environment are going to have a harder time pushing inflation through, let alone the kind of environment that we find ourselves in. So we really try to separate between kind of shorter term uh, valuation driven volatility and, you know, the longer term fundamental outlook that we have for our companies. And, you know, we've been through a few earnings seasons since we've been here. Um, our companies are doing very well and, and we have very, we have a lot of confidence that these companies are going to be able to keep up their leadership and be able to pass a lot of pricing pressures through. And eventually that is going to uh, result in higher investment returns as well. Great. Um, maybe one last question about sort of companies and the portfolios that, that you're looking at. Um, one of the things that struck me when you talked about the EV tailwind and some of the other uh, innovative business models is that they're not particularly capital light businesses necessarily. Um, you're, you're tangibly creating something as opposed to a lot of the digital businesses that, uh, in order to scale, I think it's a like control C control V and voila, you've scaled. Uh, how do you, how do you think about that when evaluating the firms and, and putting on uh, growth projections? Yeah, maybe I can start with that. I'm sure Tyler will have some views as well. I mean, you know, I think it's important to step back and, and think about kind of every decade has had a theme. I mean, the 90s, Matt, as you remember, is tech, media, telecom. The 2000s were, were commodities. Uh, 2010s, it's certainly been tech, software, bang. And, you know, it's important to look at what the next 10 years could be. And, and we're just seeing it from so many directions in terms of this energy transition. You raise a good point that you have to consider capital intensity. One of the key metrics that Tyler and I think about is how much free cash flow is coming into the business relative to the capital that they have to put to work, which is a, an easy way to say that is how hard do they have to work to grow? So I think right. those are key things that we focus on in terms of when we, when we dig in on these, these business models. That's great. Uh, appreciate the context on, on the fund and, and how you approach uh, investing. Uh, very interesting. Uh, initially, when uh, you decided to launch this product, it seemed counterintuitive as far as timing goes, but uh, going through this discussion makes a lot of sense and maybe you're able, even able to, uh, to launch at a, at a great time considering where a lot of the stocks have, have traded lately. Um, it's not often that I have guests on that are podcast addicts like myself. I understand the two of you are. Uh, I'd be remiss if I let you go without getting some recommendations uh, on where to listen to podcasts or what you're listening to. Maybe I'll start with you, Dave. What's uh, what's on top of your list? So you're right, Matt. We're both avid podcast uh, guys. It, very seldom that a week goes by where we're not passing on one or two podcasts over text. Um, so there's a few that jump out. Um, you know, invest like the best with, with Patrick O'Shaughnessy. I think he just does a sure. phenomenal job. Um, one that we've started following recently is Business Breakdowns by Colossus, which does deep dives on, on companies and finds an expert on them. I mean, there's the Capital Allocators, Business Masters in Business. Um, the other one that jumps out to me, which is, is Howard Marks, and he came out with one recently called The Memo, which is basically a rehash of his memos. And, you know, Tyler and I've read probably almost every one of them going back to the 90s, but um, we just think so highly of, of him. So it's great to have it in, in that format. How about you, Tyler? So Dave covered the investment uh, specific uh, podcast. I'll, I'll cover kind of non-investment 
the first one I like to listen to is called Against the Rules by Michael Lewis. So mm. Michael Lewis, uh, if you think back in the, in the late 80s, he wrote Liar's Poker. It was the first book I read before I started my, my journey and my career in the investment industry. Uh, it was still it was still relevant um, uh, over a decade later, funny enough. So I, I just think Michael is a is a great uh, storyteller. He puts really good content together. I will I will take as much I will consume as much content as he will put out there. The second one I would talk about is called Hidden Brain. Um, Hidden Brain is uh, really about understand how the human mind works and how decisions are made and kind of the weird and funny things that people do and why they do them. And not only is it something that's always just been interesting to me on a personal level, but it, again, as we talked about earlier, it's really important to our businesses, to, under, to our business, sorry, to understand um, how decisions are made, why they're made, what are your biases, are you aware of them, can you get around them? And so that's one that I, I listen to almost every week. David Tyler, thanks so much for spending time with, uh, with me today. Really appreciate the conversation. Thanks very much, Matt. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Matt. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and Mackenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 